We've doubled down on LA. We've phenomenal network here. Juan has, has been fortunate to attract a lot of talent from LA. There's been other plant-based meat companies, other meat organizations, other sort of brands that we've aspired to sort of be similar to that we've attracted talent from. Hello and welcome to Shopify On Location. I'm Shuang Estershan in downtown Los Angeles. Like many who made the switch to a more plant-based lifestyle, Ross McKay wanted to find a way to still enjoy chicken without actually eating chicken. Ross launched Daring in 2020 to remove chicken from our food system. This year alone, the company has helped save more than 500,000 chickens. Now Daring can be found on the shelves of major retailers around the country, such as Whole Foods, Sprouts, and Target. The company has also secured some major celebrity endorsements. Ross is here with us at the Shopify LA space to chat all about his business journey, everything from recipe development to celebrity endorsement and so much more. Welcome to the show, Ross. Hey, thanks for having me and thanks for the intro. You make it sound very exciting. It is very exciting. So I find what is interesting about your story is you were an athlete, you noticed a health benefit with switching to a plant-based lifestyle. And I think with so many stories, that kind of ends there. But you wanted to create change and actually launched a whole business. So why did you want to launch Daring? Um, Athletes, very kind. Thank you. Um, No, but um, growing up, I played a lot of sport. I played tennis for my country you know, fairly high level. And the reason I say this is because it did get me very enthusiastic about nutrition, performance, that saying you are what you eat. Well, I ate a lot of animal protein. I ate chicken mainly, you know, every day because that's what we're told, you know, to do, to be big and strong and perform and recover. And it's essential to essentially being the best athlete. And we were told that, especially me at 14, 15, 16 years old, it was very omnipresent in my diet. And actually... Suffered a bit of an injury. I decided to take a step back and I stopped playing tennis, you know, as competitively and decided to look at my diet a bit more and say, well, I might not play tennis at a high level again, but I do want to run and play other sport. And I thought I ate a bit too too much. So I I looked at my diet. I started to research a little bit more about the true meaning of health and nutrition and fundamentally researched that you didn't necessarily need to eat as much protein from, from animals as we're told to. And I went cold turkey, woke up the next day and said, you know what, enough's enough. Cut out all animal protein. It's been 15 years since and um, obviously built a business off the back of it. And really the reason for that is as I became a consumer in the category. I tried every product, you name it. The ones on the shelf 10 years ago that didn't have as much technology in manufacturing, maybe just called themselves the vegan meat or whatever. I realized there was one thing truly missing in the category then and also now, and that is health. Um, Again, I I played sport. I was always interested in health. But the products I was consuming were, at the best, 50 ingredients. Those ingredients were things that, quite frankly, you or I probably don't even know how to spell or even say properly. TiO2, maldodextrin, carrageen, lots of gums. Um, So very contradictory to my belief that health was really important in my purchasing decision, also what I put in my body. Really wanted to create something that I felt was missing, aligned with my values of plant-based lifestyle and something truly resembling health and and that's what we did with daring our product is six ingredients like for chicken 90 calories per serving zero net carbs very high protein levels so i think we've done a a fairly good job of, of creating that product 
So a lot of traditional plant-based meats do have a lot of ingredients, and that's to enhance the taste. How were you able to actually make a better tasting alternative with less ingredients? And how did you iterate that recipe to get it to the state that you were ready to pitch? Well, it was our North Star from the beginning. I think plant-based meat focused on taste in the beginning, then texture. But no one was looking at health. And when you look at the consumer data out there, the majority of consumers step into this category for health reasons. The same way people look at the back of the packaging when they put something on their face, on their kitchen counter, on their floors to clean. Whatever they do in CPG, a lot of consumers focus on ingredients. But within plant-based meat falling under CPG, it never really was looked at. It was always, again, on taste and texture. We looked at it slightly differently. We said, okay, taste and texture fundamentally need to be solved for because at the end of the day, people need to enjoy the experience It needs to mimic the animal-derived protein that you're going after, of course. But health was top of mind for me and top of mind for daring still today. So uh, it was a a bit of a process, a couple of years in R&D development. Thankfully, now we have an R&D team. But we looked at it always as the North Star of our organization. We don't include products that, you know, you will see in most of our competitors today. And I think it gives us a very unique taste and texture. So you were actually originally from the UK. You came to LA with a sample that you were confident with and you're able to pitch to a retailer, Sprouts. How did you get that recipe to that state? And what did you say during that pitch? Yeah, it takes me back. I got on a flight just to the end of 2019, must have been December before uh, the holidays. I thankfully got a meeting with the CEO of Sprouts. He's also from Scotland, so I think he had some affinity towards the cold outreach and saying, hey, please take a meeting. I have a chicken that will change the world and change your business. No, and I I came over, trusted frying pan and a bag of samples, cooked it up for him in his office in Phoenix, Arizona. And yeah, that was, you know, the end of 2019. And like I said, you know, prior to starting this podcast, I haven't been back yet. Um, So I've stayed there. We cooked the product. Thankfully, we're now in all sprouts with all of our products, along with many other retailers. But Um, that was one of the first ever times I was able to cook that product for someone outside of my friends and my family. And we got it right away, you know, natural retailer in the health space, um, and, um, saw the opportunity to, to launch Daring. So we launched with them in March of 2020 and, uh, for about a year exclusively. And we built the business, we built the supply chain, and we started to double down on the brand as well and, and tell more and more consumers about Daring. That's amazing. So you get this major contract. How did you then handle production and actually meeting that order? Honestly, I left that meeting, uh, overpromised the world, told them, you know, I think the the question was, this is great. We get it. When do you want to launch? And it's a one man band then. You know, it was me. Uh, I came over here. We had very, very minimal dollars. We could afford to stay in the rubbish hotel in Phoenix, Arizona. I took a flight back after promising that I could deliver in three months. Uh, I hadn't locked down pricing, manufacturing. I didn't even have a pouch designed yet. I I pitched him this saying that I'd forgotten my pouches, but let me cook for you. Called uh, our now one of our designers, Emily, and I said, I need you to mock me up a pouch um, very quickly. 
Um, so we we scrambled together to find a pouch supplier, locked down our manufacturing contract, locked down our international freight and fulfillment. These are things that I had no idea about. I thought it would be super simple. Clearly, it isn't. Um, but we took a we took a big risk to say sort of we could do this in a short period of time, and those aggressive timelines kind of forced me to learn quicker than I would have done otherwise. But it was a learning curve to say the least, and definitely made a few mistakes. That's intense. So, food production, consumer packaged goods, all comes with a really big overhead and lots of investment. So, how did you initially fund the business? In the beginning, it was you know self funded, just through friends and family as well, just kind of scraping together dollars. And again, this was a very small nominal amount of money. We, you know, in, in the last couple of years, we've raised just north of 120 million dollars in three runs of funding. We've we've attracted capital from some awesome investors, some people that com- completely understand CBG, along with sort of the long term outlook on on a more sustainable food system. Uh, our first investor was a company called Maveron, Dan Levitan, famously known for his involvement in Starbucks. So understands consumer, definitely understands brand, involved in companies like Allbirds, Necessaire, others, and then you know most recently attracting dollars from some great investors like Founders Fund and of course names like Drake and and other as well. So um spent a lot of my time making sure we have the balance sheet to support our um audacious goals. And thankfully now we do and we can keep our head down. But it's been uh it's been a lot of um meetings and investor relationships and and, and so on the last couple of years. So you went through a lot of pitches with notable investors and also celebrities. What's your advice for founders who are going through fundraising, looking for investors who can also offer advice, have the same values as them, um, and not just be a financial resource? Yeah, I think it's rare, always. I think at the end of the day, um, an investor's main goal is to create a return for their fund. So I think it's important that entrepreneurs remember that. Not to say that it's not possible to find investors that are both aligned with your vision, your values, the way you want to run the business and attracting return for their LPs. But at the end of the day, I think sometimes an entrepreneur should realize when they want strategic help and when they just need dollars to run their business. Sometimes entrepreneurs or founders look for both, and that doesn't always exist. I'm very fortunate and thankful that I, I found that with Dan and Maveron very early on. Dan is on fund eight or nine. He's built a really amazing career. He has values that really just align with founders, helping them build, and of course, the dollars came with that. But I think the most important thing as a, as a founder when looking for capital is to is to really look at their portfolio, speak to other entrepreneurs that they've raised money from. How was it to work with that individual on the investment team? Do your diligence too. And I think need is need and want is want. It's always hard when you just need money. Sometimes you just take whatever you can get because it's that or, you know, hopefully no plan B. But as you grow and you enter later stages of the business and you can have optionality in fundraising, I think it's important that you do your diligence to speak to other founders, speak to people in the network. It's very small. Um, how are they when things go south? How are they when, how are they when there's headwinds? Uh, because things always don't you know turn out as, as best as you want. So um, I did that. After I got a term sheet from Mavron, I called Joey Zwillinger from Allbirds, called him and I said, how was Dan to work with? And, you know, thankfully he said great things and, and we, t- we took that uh, investment. 
Amazing. I think it's also really cool to think about is when you're pitching an investor, you're sharing your story one to one, then how do you translate that storytelling to reach a larger audience with actually marketing to consumers, educating about your product and making it really welcoming and approachable, which is kind of counterintuitive to most like plant based companies of the past? Here's a great question. Our mission you know, on our website or our walls in our office is to remove and rethink chickens from the food system. It's a very, I mean, it's a daring mission. And, you know, I think there's a a tendency that often a company with a mission as strong as ours can eliminate a lot of consumers. At the end of the day, our target audience is chicken lover. So I'm telling someone not to do what they've done for a long time and eat a protein source that they love and enjoy every single day, potentially. So there's a very fine line. We've tried to do it in very fun, um, you know, often organic ways. Um, But I think the most important thing is that you don't tell people what not to do. You create healthy, tasty options. Um, Also, you, you stock your product in places where that consumer wants to be, is already eating. We have a great vegan community that buy our product. Uh, we appreciate them. They were our first adopters, our early adopters. They continue to be the core to our business. But how do we turn this business from where we are now into a much bigger organization? We have to attract the consumer that essentially eats chicken three to seven, ten times a week. Um, to do that requires a lot more education. Often I'll hear, why chicken? Chicken is healthy, right? So you want to educate that consumer on why there's potential questionable reasons why they should step away from eating less chicken without telling them necessarily, I don't want to hear that, or you have to say that, you know, to do with animal welfare or sustainability. I think at the end of the day, when you sell a CPG product, especially a food or drink item, the product needs to match or be better than the product that you're trying to take them away from. I think you've seen it within uh, alternative drinks. You've seen companies like Olipop and Poppy, for example, challenge Coca-Cola their products are as enjoyable as those Coca-Cola or Sprites for 7-Up. So they've done a great job of saying, here's the reasons why, but here's a solution that gives you the same experience. We feel like we're trying to do the same. Chicken, you know, needs challenged. It's omnipresent in your diet. Here's some of the reasons why we feel like we can give you something better. And by the way, it tastes exactly the same. So um, we've spent a significant time over the last couple of years brand building and educating and um, now we're starting to see, of course, household penetration and our awareness grow pretty significantly. I'm chatting with Ross McKay from Daring. I hope you're enjoying our conversation. If you haven't already, subscribe or follow Shopify Masters on your listening platform and leave us a review or feedback for the show. Thanks. So you do this big move to America. How did you pick Los Angeles as your headquarters and how has the city affected the way that you are building the company? Yeah, I, you know, I guess being from Scotland, thinking, you know, want to build a brand, health-based, health-forward, LA just seemed like the right place to do it. Um, thankfully, it has been. We we do have, you know, headquarters in LA with a sort of hub in New York also. Now, definitely our HQ is here. We've doubled down on LA. We built a phenomenal office in Culver City where most of our organization uh, work from. You know, we have a phenomenal network here. One has been fortunate to attract a lot of talent from LA, California specifically. 
There's been other plant-based meat companies, other meat organizations, other sort of brands that we've aspired to sort of be similar to that we've attracted talent from. So a lot of our R&D organization, a lot of our, our development team have had experience in companies in and around this area. So it's been really exciting to watch the talent pool within LA, especially within what we're doing. At the same time, you know, we have a product that's served all over LA. Um, you know, whether you're at Delilah in, in West Hollywood, whether you're at Soho House, whether you're at Tacos to Madre in, in West Hollywood, or we are sold in a lot of uh, LA restaurants. And I think being from here, being able to, you know, hop in the in the car with our culinary team and just pop into a restaurant and say, hey, we're around the corner, try our product. It's been really advantageous. So I think the the community here, um, you know, Hwood, um, the, the guys over there have been able to to stock us on all their restaurants in and around LA also. So it's been it's been really great um, and excited to continue to build here and continue to hire here and hopefully find us in many more restaurants across across LA. Speaking to that network of restaurants, how did your team go about selecting the different eateries and what advice you have for founders who want to build that local network? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, we, we, we sell our product through two different channels, grocery retail and restaurants. I think one of the most um, advantageous things is building the brand awareness in restaurants. Um, we're daring on menu. So if you go to, you know, a, a restaurant like Monty's, um, it'll say, you know, the daring chicken box or the daring tenders or the daring burger or whatever it may be. And there's maybe an asterisk at the bottom of the menu that says, you know, daring is plant-based chicken. And that's really driven consumers to our retail business. They loved it at Monty's, they loved it at, you know, Soho House, they loved it at whatever. And then they might go pick it up at Sprouts or Air One or Whole Foods or wherever, or go to our website and see where we're stocked. But that experience at a restaurant has given consumers like, okay, this works. It's often better when a chef cooks it for you first. That experience is more than likely probably going to be you know, better than me kicking it at home for sure. Um, but any advice, I think, um, you know, these restaurants are always looking for something new. Um, chefs want to be wild with innovation. They want to be able to create great food. So you'll find me and the team often just turning up to a restaurant almost cold and saying, hey, I have a product. Would you love to try it? I'd love to show you it. One of the things we've done that I think has set us apart um, Chefs love to buy from chefs. We have a culinary director, chef, Mark Middleton. He'll travel the country, but often LA specifically here, going to sit with chefs, helping them think through menu creation, helping them think through innovation, pricing, supply chain, and really providing data to what's working at other restaurants or other chains or supermarket. And that'll be followed up by our brand team that will lean in and start to get creative. We just launched with Bluestone Lane, you know, coffee chain all over the country, national, but many, many locations here in LA. And that was a joint collaboration where our team would go in and say, here's what we're seeing, here's what you're seeing, how can we help? Not just, here's a box of our product, here's the price, buy it from us. That, that's not going to work. It needs to be a partnership. And it really sounds like you're not viewing these retailers and restaurants as a sales point only. It's also a marketing channel for you as well. Big time. Um, we lead with brand. We're branded on the menu. Um, we just did a launch with Starbucks, actually. Uh, it's uh, pretty exciting, but we're daring on the menu too. And the amount of traction we're seeing there, especially moving into retail, grocery, where they'll buy my product because they saw it at 
a Starbucks, for example. So um, definitely, this is not a commodity. This is not just vegan chicken or plant-based chicken. And a lot of the data will show that actually a branded menu item outsells a non-branded menu item 10 to 1. So we can take that data, we can show restaurants, hey, by putting daring on the menu as a call-out, it doesn't just help us, it helps you also. But of course, we benefit because consumers start to recognize the daring name and what it stands for and hopefully drives to other points within our business, grocery retail or website, or hopefully become avid fans of the brand. But definitely a big marketing exercise for us also. That's so exciting. Congrats on Starbucks. Thank you. On the other side of marketing, you also have celebrity fans. Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker just recently did a campaign. How did that relationship come to be? So, mutual friend. I'll, I'll give him a, a plug. But a man named Simon Huck. He's a very close friend of, of the family, I believe. And a friend of mine also spent last new year with him and my wife. And we were talking about kind of building the brand and we, where we wanted to take it. And I felt like we never were celebrity forward. We had attracted celebrity dollars, of course, uh, always very organically, and um, we hadn't ever decided to do anything bigger with it. But understanding that Courtney and Travis had an affinity to the plant-based lifestyle, he has many restaurants, involves in many restaurants across this country, across LA also with Monty's and Crossroads. It felt like a real opportunity to do something really, truly organic. They both love daring product. And we were fortunate enough to connect, meet, talk about the mission, the vision that I had for the organization along with how they wanted to create an impact. Um, and without speaking on behalf of them, I think they felt that daring was one of the, if not the best product that they tried as, as consumers. So we we met, you know, say, you know, a month or so before we shot the campaign and we rolled that out very quickly. I think that was just a, a testament to the, the relationship that Simon had created between both parties and the real love for the daring brand and the daring product. But it's exciting to watch the impact of that even today. You know, our uh, impressions were are still racking up, obviously, using someone like Travis and Courtney at the time when they just got married and everyone was talking about them. And even still today, people are, of course. But um, it's been exciting to watch that. Our household penetration has grown almost 300% since we launched that campaign. And of course, the impact across our business from a retail perspective, we're not going in now and saying, hey, daring, people haven't heard of us. People have heard of us now, most places across the country. But again, we're not relying on that campaign to build a successful business. We're doing it across many different aspects of the company. But consumers, I believe, enjoyed that. Amazing. Sounds like Simon is a great friend to have for founders who probably don't have a friend like Simon, what are some traditional marketing channels that Daring has used and that has been really impactful for the growth? Yeah, I think in the beginning, um, we leaned very aggressively on brand uh, being, uh, uh, you know, a, a big reason to exist. I think, you know, uh, a lot of education was required to really convert consumers away from the current plant-based meat they were eating and maybe having a good or maybe potentially bad experience. So um, when we launched the brand, we went very aggressive with um, a lot of out of home, uh, all over the country, all over LA. Uh, we worked with um, different organizations to roll out a lot of a lot of a lot of campaign work. And again, we spent a lot of time kind of testing and learning what was working at different points of the funnel. You know, advertising on YouTube, 
um, different shopper marketing tactics. But for us, we've really doubled down on PR, brand campaigns. Obviously, you've touched on Courtney Travis, but most of it has been very organic. We actually haven't spent a tremendous amount of capital on any other real marketing initiatives yet. At the end of the day, we sell our product in retailers, and those retailers need a tremendous amount of support. So we work very closely with them. And, and of course, that might look, you know, advertising on different parts of their website, um, uh, integrated TV, um, and also influencer. You know, we, we have a, a very organic influencer outreach. We don't pay influencers to talk about our product. Thankfully, um, to us, most influencers are some sort of foodie or chef who's, you know, has credibility within that community. So, um, but again, in the beginning, a lot of heavy brand work that was really important for us to create something that was more than just a food business more of a lifestyle business so we've all seen a lot of videos of people trying daring products and sharing it on social media so how did you go about selecting and building relationships with chefs influencers and creators within the plant-based food space as you mentioned, it's a an interesting world, and we're still getting used to it. I think you know, relying on different platforms, we're we're being fairly uh, aggressive on TikTok right now. And I think there's uh, with our product, the way it shreds, the way it looks, there's a lot of really fun work that we can do there. But to answer your question more specifically, it's not somewhere I'm spending a tremendous amount of my time. And thankfully, there's smarter people in the organization that are. Um, but of course, we we love to send our product to as many people that want to try it as possible. And on that point, because you are expanding so much, you have a team of over 50 or 60 individuals now. How did you go about hiring people and also letting go of some of those responsibilities and being okay with that? Yeah, uh, I think great leadership comes in hiring a great team. Probably some cliche back of the packaging quote that I just gave there. I apologize, but it's true. I think very early on, we overachieved in one or two things, um, capital raising for sure, but also hiring a great team. My team are honestly phenomenal. They've seen big, big organizations. They've seen young hustle, scrappy startups, and we kind of fit somewhere in the in the middle right now. And um, it's really awesome to see sort of the uh, expertise, yeah, entrepreneurial spirit they bring to work every day. Uh, you know, you make a lot of mistakes uh, in hiring. Um, I would say that definitely hiring slow allows you to uh, build the organization for the growth that you want. I'm trying to build a team for what I want to be, not what I am right now. When I'm, I'm very audacious in where I want to take this organization, so I'm making sure that I'm planning six months out, a year out at least, in kind of the organization I'm trying to build for. And, you know, at the same time, making sure that you build you know, values and you hire behind those values. So daring is not for everyone and that's absolutely okay. Uh, we've had plenty of people turn us down for job offers when we were really excited about them as individuals um, because we have a very set, concrete set of values at this organization. Um, we work, you know, uh, you know, pretty much matched against those values and that's how we run the company. That's how I lead the organization. And it's making sure that you bring people on that also see the world the same as you. They want to build impact. They want to build a great business. They want to hopefully do a great job for the company and for them. But also they see the world the same as you. And what I mean by that is, you know, if our values are X and Y, they see those values and think, yeah, that makes sense. That's that's how I want to run day to day myself. So. I think that was really important and you know we're we're a pretty big team now but remain extremely flat 
You know, there's no daylight between teams. Um, I think as an entrepreneur makes his first hire to his 50th, 60th, 100th hire, it's important that you continue to just, um, you know, cross-reference, get references. You know, there's, they'll give you a list of uh, two or three people. Make sure you find ways to speak to other people as well because everyone's good for a 30-minute interview. But what they like when they're really in the weeds and building the business. So you did mention that there are a few areas that you do focus on and you do stay close to. For founders who are also expanding, what do you recommend like zoning in and focusing on and what areas to let go of? I think that's dependent on what you're best at. For me, um, I love the brand building side. I love marketing innovation. Um, my strength's not in supply chain um, and potentially finance, for example. So I made sure that we were able to hire and have someone spin those plates so I could focus more of my time on the X and Y. If another founder is really, really strong at operations, they probably don't need to hire an operations team right away. They might want to hire a brand team, a marketing team, or someone in finance. So it's just taking a step back and being honest with yourself and say, where do I enjoy um, you know, running the business? Where do I enjoy spending my time? I think for most founders, they should focus on a couple things. One is setting the strategy for the organization. Um, two is communicating that strategy to the organization. As soon as you start to get bored of hearing yourself say it, they're probably just hearing it for the first time. Continue to lean into that. Continue to give communication to your organization of where you're going, how they can help you get there. And then capital raising can be very important for, for founders. Most investors early stage want to speak to the founder. You probably don't have a CFO. You probably don't have a big team. You're the one building the model. You're the one building the decks. You're the one turning up and, and pitching four or five, six, ten times a day, a week, whatever it may be. So strategy, communicating the strategy, fundraising, uh, and hiring. Um, you, it's, it's a crazy thought that you turn from being 100% of the workforce to 1% of the workforce or even less, whatever it may be. And you've hired 99% of your workforce. you got to be involved in that. I still will interview every single person that comes to the organization. Not because of a controlling aspect, just because they're going to play such a pivotal role in the organization that and need to make sure it's the right fit. So those are kind of the three or four main things I try and spend a lot of time on, hiring, strategy, fundraising, um, and then communication across the org, making sure that people feel um, the ability, or we say it as a company, people feel 13 feet tall at all times. So you started Daring because you wanted to look after your health. Now that you're running and scaling the business, there's a lot of different issues you have to tackle. How are you looking after your health and positivity and mental health, all of that, as you're taking on bigger things every day? I think there's a misconception that as you get bigger, you have to necessarily essentially get more stretched. As you alluded to, I have a great team. So I've been able to really focus my time on fewer things that I really am passionate about where I feel that I can add the most value. You know, someone might say, how do you have time to go for a run, you know, or, or, or whatever. It's because I have a great team, uh, honestly. So I think, how am I doing it? You know, I spend a lot of time, I'm a big fan of hot and cold treatment. I have an ice bath at my home. So I spend most days in some sort of cold environment or hot environment. And um, I enjoy working out and running and things like that. It's hard not to when you live in LA and there's an outdoor lifestyle, but um I think, yes, definitely when I started the company, health probably to take a back seat. I think as I sort of was able to build a team that I feel can take us to a much, much, much better place, uh, could be able to 
bring that back into into my daily routine and continue to train every day and continue to do things like you know um, uh, cold uh, cold ice baths and, and and hot treatment. Sounds pretty crazy, but if you haven't tried it, I recommend it. Looking forward, what are some goals and projects that you can share with us? Um, yeah, next year a lot of it is about innovation. Uh, we built this business off really just one product, um, eleven thousand doors now. Um, you know, we've obviously got four SKUs in market. Our original pieces was the real the catalyst for the whole organization. Uh, but we'll be launching some really exciting innovation into some of these banners, some collaborations, different partners, sauce partners, um, different um, formats, different usage occasions across daring. And of course, we'll continue to lean into some really exciting brand moments. You saw us pop up at different cultural festivals across 2021, 2022, and we'll continue leaning into that. Um, but yeah, many, many new exciting products to come out next year. So excited. And we'll look out for all those exciting daring products and initiatives. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being here, Ross. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's Ross McKay, founder and CEO of Daring. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Shopify On Location. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Gottlieb is our supervising producer. And I'm Shwang Esser-Shan. And we will see you next time. 